You're listening to the We Lead Well podcast, where well-being matters. The show is brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchat.com and the Teach Well Alliance. Enjoy the show. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the We Lead Well podcast. I'm Vicky Maguire, a coach and consultant. I work in schools with leaders to help them to improve their own and the well-being of all of their staff. Today on the show, I've got Chris Foley, who's the head teacher from St Monica's School in Prestwich, near Manchester. Chris and I discuss the challenges that he's currently facing dealing with a global crisis at a local level. We also explore how well-being is enhanced by the unique ethos of a Catholic school, but also some of the challenges that this can present. Also in the interview, Chris stresses the importance of structures to creating a well-being culture in an organisation and clarity of roles so that staff have a clear understanding of what their job is and feel a sense of purpose. We explore the difficulty that Head faces when making decisions for the benefit of a majority of staff. The challenges faced by a head taking over a school in special measures, which is what Chris has done at St Monica's. Chris talks with brutal honesty in this interview about how it feels to be a head. I hope you listen and gain some reassurance if you're a head or a senior leader in a school. Or if you're a teacher or a member of staff, it might help you to become more aware of some of the challenges that are faced by head teachers. Chris Foley, it's great to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm okay, thank you. I'm all right. It's been an interesting day. Excellent. Go on, tell me a bit about your day then. Uh, well, today we have been trying to, we've had our first possible COVID situation. It turns out it was easily resolved. It wasn't, it's not going to affect the school. But I think as the term goes on, people will find it harder and harder to carry on. Almost working in this day by day, week by week scenario. And, you know, you've got to really feel for people at the moment when in school. So it's not an easy job. And no. with all this the guidance and all the changes and it's becoming increasingly a seven day job to prepare a school for a five day week yeah and, and i think people find that hard i think there are some real challenges that you're going to face aren't there in the in the coming months how do yeah. you think you'll, how do you think you'll cope with those i kind of think certainly from, from the best of my school the more we can do to support our staff over the next six weeks, then half term, then seven weeks, then eight, the Christmas, the better really. There is no easy answer and there is no solution. And I think what we have tried to do is put in place here some quite robust, tight systems with tight expectations, you know, keeping people going, doing those things that we think will work. But in terms of coping, I don't think you can, I think schools will rapidly reach the conclusion that they're, we also got to with my SLT, the school improvement agenda and making your school what you want it to be over the next one months, we need to forget that. And we need to do two things. Number one, try and make sure that the year 11 kids get what they need. That's, you know, and then number two, try and get through the academic year, understanding it will be a year like normal. There is no, there's no magic wand anyone can wave. You know, I suppose everyone is in this testing situation, which is challenging. You get a phone call anytime and, it's, I suppose it, it is like, you know, on Sunday with my two deputy head teachers, we probably spend the best part of four or five hours texting each other regarding how we deal with person X or person Y who may or may, may or may not have symptoms. That's not healthy. And I think that mental strain, we've just got to go one day at a time. Yeah, I was no going to say, there's, there's a lot of pressure on leaders, isn't there? People are looking to head teachers for yeah. leadership at this moment in time aren't they they're looking for you to make the decisions to put the protocols in place yeah it's yeah. it's a pressured time I mean, what what we've what we've tried to do here is make sure that before we finish everyone knew what they were going to be doing um we phase the years back into school so people can manage the the, the slow and steady build up and we've now started to consult with middle leaders probably every single day on what we're doing because all the plans that we've put in place require, require constant tweaking and constant changes. And we've already changed things three or four times and we'll keep doing that, try and make things as fit perfect as possible. And I think what we've, we've had people who 
are apologising for having to be off site because they've got to have a test. They need to not worry about that. It is what it is. But we're trying the best we can in difficult situations. And I wrote a blog last weekend about, and I called it Ignore the Noise because every single leader in a school and teacher is trying to do the very best they can in difficult circumstances. And I think all we need is people to say, okay, we know. And what's not clear is what will happen with regarding exam results. All those external pressures, Vicky, they're not helpful right now. And what and leading a school to be an outstanding school is no longer relevant to me right now. Right now, I am leading a school to make sure every single person goes home safe and well. And whether people agree with me and how I do it, I don't really care. You know, trying to lead a school so everybody gets home at night and can come back the following day. And, and that's, you know, that's what's important at the moment, isn't yeah, it? We've been speaking to the children about things like wearing a face mask. You know, the, the pitch is you are doing this not for you, but for your friend sat 15 seats away or sat in the other classroom who's got a, grand, who's got a grandparent in the 80s. And I think tr trying to build that uh, supportive collegiate culture is almost more important right now than if anyone's teaching the world's greatest lesson or, you know, if kid in year eight can factorise or if kid in year nine can tell me about photosynthesis. You know, it's almost like the job has, the, the job has changed. I've said to my leadership team, you know, at the moment, I feel like we're not doing the job that, we kept, that, we, that we've been sent here to do. But we're doing I think one of the things with leadership as well, I, I think modern leadership is about being collegiate and taking people's views on board and very much I think we've talked about when we've been doing when I've been doing interviews with people about how staff voice is really important and thinking about what the impact's going to be and those two things are important but it's almost like leadership's gone backwards isn't it to a place of authoritative leadership at the moment. I mean I, we've been trying obviously the school I mean now has been on a real journey and when I took over it was very much we do things my way and because I, I, you know what it takes to get out of a certain situation. But we, we try to underpin what we do with, doesn't matter who's right. All that matters is that you get things right. And you know, my head of department, main skill teachers, you know, as I was leaving today, one of our cover supervisors said, have we thought of doing this differently because I make things easier? And we listen to those things. And I think that's where, you, you know, if we try and get to talk about well-being. You know, I think people's well-being is dependent on how valued they feel by the people in the organisation. And that's... So, so sometimes you, you need to lead by dragging the school by the throat where you need to go. But when you start to empower people and give them ideas, actually, things get better far more quickly. And that's kind of what's happening here, I suppose. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. You you talk you you mentioned in there about some of the situations that your school has faced. So, can you tell me a bit about your own career and how you've ended up at Saint Monica's in Prestwich, and yeah. some of the challenges that you faced along the way? Because when you went to Saint Monica's, it was a school in special measures, wasn't it? As yeah, um, I started teaching in two thousand and four as history teacher. Uh, very quickly, I became an assistant head in two thousand and eight. I then spent time working at a school in Oldham called Newman College, you know, where I was part of the team that tried to bring two disparate schools together, you know, two Catholic high schools, very different makeup. Um, I was also part of the team that was involved in designing and trying to get moved the school into a new building. I became deputy of Newman College in 2012 and was put in inadequate the following February. I'm not a curse, you know, really not. Um, at the time, I, I, I was in the wrong spot on the team, I felt. Then we got moved and I was responsible for school improvement strategy. You know, school became good in 2016. And at that point, I wanted to go and do my own thing. So I became head of the school in Haywood, Rochdale called Holy Family, which became quite uh, successful. It was lovely, it was the best, best, best job I've ever had. And I loved it there. And then in October, October, November 2019, I was asked to come and take over some monikers on an interim basis for the for January 2019. So yeah, October October November 2018, yeah. I was asked to come in January 2019. And between for that those two terms, January 19 to July, I was in charge of Holy Family and some monikers. Um, 
And when I took over St Monica's, what I found was a school... You don't want to be critical of people who come before you do, especially not on a podcast, it's going to be, it's going to be <laughs> public domain. What was really hard was the school was in a situation where they'd always done what they'd always done. And that's nobody's fault. It is what it is. And so taking over there was a huge, huge challenge because a lot of the staff were doing it. They're great people, but good teachers can't do anything without really, really precise leadership. And I don't mean good leadership. I mean precise and tight and really focused on key things. And at St Monica's in the first six months, they did about they did four staffing restructures. Leadership team members were moved on and left, and, and that that was really painful. But we did it to try and put in place a structure which could work for everybody in the longer term. And that was really, really, really hard because. It was just was, and so <laughs> that was not an easy time, and it was personally incredibly difficult because some of the things that you have to do to kind of weed out our culture and, and make change, they, it comes at quite high personal cost, and you question if you do the right things and you do things in the right way. September 2019, we had a fresh start, a new deputy, new systems, new processes. Everything started to work much better. Off they came in, said we're not inadequate anymore, which was the plan, that was the strategy. Said a few nice things about the children, about the staff, a few nice things about me. Made, made my mum very proud. Was the most important <laughs> person. And, uh, and really, I, I think we kind of felt as, as we moved to January 2020, we were in a really good place. And the school was going great guns. I think if we'd have been inspected in the summer term 2020, we would have been a good school, but that's irrelevant now. And it's been difficult. I think the journey at St Monica's has been built on having a really, really clear structure in place so every single person in the organisation knows what's expected of them, knows what they should be doing, when they should be doing it. And that gives people a level of security. And then when you start to see some improvement, you know, much better set of outcomes, 2019, people start to believe in what you're doing. And what I've found is your leadership style and. I have softened myself significantly so over the past six to nine months with my staff because they understand that whilst I came to win and nothing will get in the way of us being the best we can be, they've been able to see the more human side of me in this crisis. I was going to say when you, because well-being is such a key thing in schools at the minute, and it's a it's a big focus. And Ofsted are going to be looking at that aspect of of schools when they come in. But you had a hard job there, didn't you? Because moving a school from a category requires an awful lot of hard work for staff, and I imagine it's that being in a school where we've gone from requires improvement to good. Um, I imagine it's even more stressful when a school's in special measures and, and you come in and you're, you're trying to do things to get them out of that category. So how do you align the two things in terms of the hard work and effort that it takes and the stress and the pressure whilst looking after your staff at the same time? <laughs> if you were to ask the staff, someone would say that I wasn't able to do that. You know, if you were to ask my family, they would say, that during that time it consumed what you were doing. You know, we, we had a holiday booked in May after with my wife and children going on a camping trip and the day before I, to, I said, I'm not going today because I've got a certain age you here. You know, I, I kind of figured if, if you choose to do the job of the head teacher and you, and you choose to enjoy the salary, you know, and, and, the, and, and those things, you should get on with it and not grouse about it. You know, if, if, if you're a member of staff who, who works in a school and the school's been judged to be inadequate, it's not always your fault. You know, it's the fault of, le- of the people at the very, very top. I don't think initially I was able to reconcile those two bits. And for those first six months, it was really, really hard because I was trying to sort out the structural things which will make everybody's life easier. And all you try and do in those situations is you ask people to have a, take a leap of faith with you and understand that one day there'll be a better day. You know, and, and there will be a time when, you know, 
these things shall pass. These things shall pass. And, and having been through that on a number of occasions, you know, as an NQT, the school I was in within six weeks was just an adequate jackpot. You know, at Newman it happens. And, and I think what you learn from that is you can spot the indicators of why certain things happen in certain ways. And as the head teacher, if you can spot them, it should never happen. So it, it was not a case of reconciling it because you, some of my board members just used to say, you just got to get on with it. You know, and you get, you get asked to do things. I don't think people expected the rate of change to be as fast as it was. Right. You know, I don't think people, you know, people walk around the school, no, it's calm, it's quiet, you know, it's where it's supposed to be. I don't, and I don't think people, if someone was to come and walk around the school and they'll come in whenever they want, they'd see a school, it's like my old school now. You know, obviously the site is, is, is quite tight and it's never going to, nothing's ever going to be perfect. But the school has reached a level of like a, an even keel, which once people see things get better, you know, people feel the behaviour's better, people feel they can teach the job better, people see all those nice things, they, their well-being improves anyway, doesn't it? When I took over, well-being was on the ground because nobody knew the direction to pull things in. And, and sometimes to get everyone feeling happy about their job is not, since you didn't like the last time we spoke, it's not giving them a chocolate, it's not giving them a big sandwich every six weeks, it's not saying go home early on one Friday in December, what thanks for that. It's about that, that consistent approach to things, which means they know where they are and they know where they can be centred. And I think that's what we got here right. And that's why when we looked at recruitment last year, last people, the people that wanted to stay are great people. And the same people that were put in and get out of it, that's a lot as well, wasn't it? Apart from maybe one or two key positions. I think it, it, it resonates with me what you say about making the changes quickly so staff can see that you're making a difference and that's reassuring for staff that things are changing. Yeah, I think my staff, they seem to appreciate the candor with which we do things and they know that I'm not sat in my ivory tower Partly because sitting in the office is the most boring thing on the planet and I'm trying to avoid doing the MPQEL project <laughs> around the building. But they need to know that you're present, don't they? You know, they do. and, and you talk about bottom-up leadership, don't you? You say that yeah, in one of your blogs you talk about um, you, you value being present in the school and being out in the mornings, breaks and, and around to support staff. And you, you think that's important? I think it... I think it's important that children know the head teacher can walk into a maths class and can talk, can talk to a Pythagoras and can then walk into an English class and can recite things from Macbeth or can walk into a science class and explain photosynthesis. Those things are really, really important. And I think one of the big things that really annoys me about everything is this, this idea that we, shouldn't be, we, shouldn't, we, shouldn't, we should be ashamed of being the smartest kid in the class. Well, that is for me absolute nonsense. We should be ashamed of being, of being articulate and being, that's just rubbish. And I think you try and show the children, don't you, and the staff, that it's okay to be good at what you're doing. You know, we, we talk to our kids about being the prime minister or curing cancer. That is what the school should be about. And I'm not, it's cheesy. I don't care. They love it. You know, and being present, if you're the head teacher, you can make more change in a school in 15 minutes than your NQT can in one year. If you are not using that off that responsibility in the right way, what do you expect's going to happen? And I think that's where you try and get people that the job of their teacher and is to serve the needs of every single person so you can make their job easier. And if you are doing that, it works. But that's... I think you've got, but you've got to go through that. You've got to go through, you know, this is my second headship. This is my third senior leadership post in a, in a context which wasn't always ideal. You've got to go through that six to nine months of hard yards. And, and when you're at the end of it, that's, that's hard work and pressure for you, isn't it? Because you, you constantly, from the moment you're there, you're, you're on duty. And then I know you do, you do your blog, you, you're doing MPQEL. You know, life is really busy for you so how do you manage your own 
well go to bed. <laughs> I go to bed very early. Um, I get bored easily when I'm not doing things. You know, one, one of the most important things about being a Catholic, and I'm trying to write a blog about being a Catholic, and I'm finding it really, really hard. We're trying to get, get around for three months now, is the idea that we are here to serve people and to make, this sounds really lame, and I'm sorry, blog, podcast listeners. Don't, don't apologise for anything. <laughs> the job is to try and make the world a better place, isn't it? And when I get home, I've got two children, and... My son beats me at chess all the time, which is depressing. You know, my daughter goes to gymnastics. We, my what, holiday time is my time, you know. First, I did, did some work presentation with the NQTs on uh, last Thursday about, you know, planning and stuff and being sharp and precise. And I always say to anybody, make sure on the first Monday of the holiday, in the summer holiday, you start a beach somewhere warm, drinking a drink with like, like a pink umbrella in it or something. <laughs> you know, I'm fine with that. I'm the child of head teacher and deputy head. I know what it takes. And I have no problem paying the price for it because it's, it's what we should be doing. So I don't have the answer. I look tired all the time when I, when I have this, this great beard. But it, what you, I, like the, I like what I do. And I, yeah. and, by, and I don't mean that I don't want to say, oh, I hate this job because I say that every single day. But, but I like solving problems and I like building things that are sustainable. And I like the idea that there's a head of English here who's 27 years old, there's a head of science who's 31. I like the idea that in 10 years' time, they may sit in a chair like mine with the right ethical approach to the job. I like that. And that's, for me, that's, that's fine. You know, but the weekends, I sit in the garden. You know, I do a lot of gardening, we've got a big garden, so I have to cut the lawn all the time and trim the hedges. It gets me out and about, but the brain's always thinking, you know, I can't switch it off. You, you're, uh, <laughs> you're, always, you're always on the go, I think, aren't you? It's, so, well, yeah, it's otherwise... Non-stop. <laughs> otherwise you get bored. <laughs> I, think, I, I think, to be honest with you, Vicky, I think part of the challenge of coming to St Monica's was, was that, was knowing that Holy Family, and I loved, I loved it, you know. It became like a really, really well-oiled machine. Everyone knew what they're doing, and the results were great. And But you can't just... You always want to be reaching for the next thing, don't you? You're ambitious. Well, yeah. Yeah, I suppose I am. The world I, is not enough. I know, you, I know you're busy, and you work, and um, you put lots of time into what you're doing. Um, in one of your blogs I was reading, you said you remember what it's like having a full timetable um, as, a, as a, a class teacher. How does that impact on your expectations of staff? Because I know you said you, do, you don't mind if staff leave the, the car park at quarter past three or they, they arrive at ten past quarter past eight or whatever it is. But how does, how does still having that memory of what it was like to be a class teacher impact on your expectations of your staff? Well, you, what you, tr you try and make sure your staff have all things that they need. You know, you try and make sure they're in the same room all the time. When we were looking at reopening the school, we, we, we played with moving staff around all the time and it, it was going to kill them. It was pointless. So you also remember that sometimes you're going to walk into a lesson where the, the kids are working quiet and the staff person is sat down. You know, I understand that, and I said this to the NQTs and I've, and I've said it in a, something else, you know, if you're a teacher, you're not, you are not Coco the Clown. I do not need to see you put me on a show every single lesson. You know, I actually said <laughs> the first week or two, I don't mind if lessons are boring as long as everything's where it's supposed to be. And if learning is going on and the pupils are engaged and everything is looking calm and we are seeing the workers that need to be seen in, that's fine. I think I, I understand that if you're a classroom teacher, you're, you're, and you're early in your career, you're trying to get better every single day. You know, you're trying to get better every single day and you're going to have classes that are hard. And I understand that. And what I have tried to do is, as far as possible, make things as easy for people as they can. Like, like last year, during last, last year uh, in June, July, when um, schools had to write reports every single child, I wrote them all myself for, over 100, for the 980 kids. I did a comment for every single kid just so the staff didn't have to worry about it. 
you know, doing those kind of things, trying to reduce collection points of data. I know, I know this is all offsetting. You know, we're, we're trying to look at this year how to write different sets of reports so you're not doing comments for 30 kids five times a year. Yeah. If, if, if the classroom teacher has the time and space that they need just to teach their lessons, that's fine. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to see lesson plans. You know, I, I'm not going to observe you as part of performance management because I'm looking at the school all the time. I know where the issues are. I know it's great. I know it's rubbish and all those bits and pieces. You try and take away the burden. And most of all, I think you try and take away the worry. If I walk into a classroom and you're having a nightmare, am I going to help you? Yes, I am. And, I, and what can you do about it? I'm not going to be judging you. And I think that's the... What, we tried, what I've tried to build here in the other school is the idea that, that people get used to me coming into a classroom and not freaking out. I've seen it in because, a supportive way. Yeah. And, and we, when we were inspecting in December, the inspector asked me to tell me about our staff. So I said, this is the person, is what you'll see. And we went through all 75 of them and she was like, at the end of the day, that's spot on, Liana. And so you try and make their life as easy as possible. You try and support them. You try not to overburden them and you try to make them understand. I think the big thing we need to do next is to make staff want to be responsible for their own development. And one, oh. one of the you know what I mean? Sorry, Vicky. One, one of the people always say CPD is not bespoke. That's, that, that's rubbish, that. What you want is your staff to have a thirst for learning new things and trying new things. And if something goes wrong, fine. You know, I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, it, it, does that make sense? Yeah, I was going to say to you, what, what role does CPD have to play in the well-being of staff and their ownership of their own progress and learning? You know, we, we, we do things like we buy people books. If you want one, we've got a staff learning library. We have a CPD offer, you know, at the moment, like with every school, because we're kind of running a different kind of organisation right now. The, you know, our CPD offer next this week, next week, is all about remote learning, getting things planned and box offer, those kind of things. But CPD is not a... You're not going to make a teacher better by giving them a, C, a CPD session. Let, let's, let's not kid ourselves. You'll make someone better by trying to improve one or two things over the course of a period of time. So our CPD focus has always been about recall, you know, rose and shine, all those things. It's the same principle as last year, but it needs to be refined and worked on. You know, an athlete runs a race a million times and just to show you off 0.1 millisecond, that's what it needs to do. The idea that you can flip-flop your CPD, we're going to do this this year and this next year is a lot of rubbish. And where you see those schools that flip up around what the priorities are, that makes no one's life easier. It actually makes things worse because you never embed anything. I'd rather do one or two things really, really well for five years and get it nailed on than do a different thing every single year. You know, I worked in a school where we, we felt, you know what I mean, where you feel gimmicks and that's not what I'm about. So I think for our staff, they know that their focus is currently Boys, SEND pupils, you know, broadly speaking, you know, get year 11 what they need and move on. Let's not worry about progress eight right now. It's a nonsense anyway. I'm pretty sure the performance tables will be scrapped anyway, given what we're seeing nationally and locally. Keep working on developing those principles and instructing lessons so that questioning is stronger, recall is stronger, and keep building our school culture. And that takes three, that takes three years to do properly. Yeah. And I think you kid yourself if it doesn't. So we, it's trying to make it consistent and trying to make it coherent, I suppose. One of the things you mentioned um, was about observations and that you, you're not necessarily going to go in and, and observe staff. We, we, are in a, we are in a climate of high stakes accountability in, in many schools in this country. Yeah. But Ofsted are focusing more on well-being of staff and one of the things in in surveys and uh, staff voice that that take place say that staff find the the high stakes accountability is what causes a lot of stress for them but yeah. there's, a, there's a conflict isn't there between schools feeling like they need to be accountable and make their staff accountable and yet Ofsted are, are focusing more on reducing workload and well-being yeah. so how do you go about balancing those two things by accountability, I'm assuming you mean an endpoint results. Results yeah. and data data points and yeah. lesson observations, what scrutiny is. Right, so if, if we talk about results first of all, 
results are not just a responsibility of the classroom teacher. And when you, you have to build your system so results are everybody's business. Everyone plays a part in improving them. And rather than say, you're a nightmare with your class, the problem takes you minus 1.9, no pay progression. Yeah. You know, if, if, if no one's dug into the reason why those things aren't right, you know, maths at St. Monica's got an absolute panning in the 2018 Austin report, worse in the country, you know. The same people who were here then are still here now. And last year, maths was, was, was amongst the top progress scores in Berry. Same people, as it happened, system, focus, strategy, you know. You need to have people in your organisation who understand the exam strategy and can deliver and execute it. And then you've got to engage the children, make the kids responsible for themselves as well. You know, we've hammered that, we've hammered that, we've hammered that. And build the things in your structures, which means outcomes can improve, you know. That's not difficult to do, in my view. I've seen it, you know, but that's where the people... My background is in raising standards and outcomes. Therefore, it's quite straightforward. So I don't think... I think where you get those schools, Vicky, is where staff feel that the results are just their problem, just their fault. There's no, that's wrong. You know, and geography, you have the kids for five hours a fortnight, you know, so they've got to what, 85 hours a year. And, and then if the kid gets a four rather than a five, you're going to be told you're a rubbish, you're a rubbish teacher. That's a nonsense. And I think as a head teacher, you can take those things. In terms of lesson observation and Obviously, you, you've worked in a, in a senior leadership post, and I suppose the challenge is, you and I both know the minute you meet a teacher, you know if they're good or not. Should we not kid ourselves? You know, you know, to the point of I know that we've interviewed people that my PA said, I said to somebody, he'll appoint no one today at five past eight in the morning, which is right. So I think observing people who are decent at the job, they love that. If someone's really, really weak as a teacher, and you inherit them, then you can move them on quickly. If you appoint them and they are weak, first of all, are you supporting them to make them better? Give them at least 18 months or two years, surely. But I don't believe lesson observation tells you anything. Someone can fake it, someone can do the same thing every single lesson. You know, I think it, lesson observation only tells you how someone can perform on one day or on one day. Don't tell you how good they are day in, day out. Yeah. And it, it and, I'm not a fan of it. You know, here we will look to do subject deep dives over the course of the year. We'll pop in classrooms all the time. We'll ask people, but to say I'm going to come and observe you for an hour, I get bored of it anyway. <laughs> to me. I think the idea of um, that you talk about, the idea of collective responsibility as well, and everybody being responsible for the results that the pupils achieve, is, is that something that creates a culture of supporting each other. Before we find out more about how Chris has created a culture of support and collegiateness in his I'd just like to tell you a little bit about our partner, Head Teacher Chat. It's what head teachers are talking about. Head Teacher Chat discusses lots of topics, from how to support pupils with learning, how to support parents, and the many issues that come with leading a school. The aim of Head Teacher Chat is to support head teachers and school leaders who are in a challenging and often lonely role. They do this by offering lots of information for schools to tap into. For example, they have lots of fantastic education companies on their database for leaders to discover, as well as leadership templates to download. They've written product reviews for leaders who are looking for products for their school. And this year, they've even launched the very first school leader planner, especially designed to help leaders to be productive and organised. If you'd like to hear more about Head Teacher Chat, you can find them on their website at www headteacherchat.com headteacherchat it's what head teachers are talking about now let's get back to the interview and find out how chris has created that collegiate supportive culture in his school unless you're at the very top you can't really execute the difference making play can you and then and they need everyone to be on the you know We've got a much more precise system of information sharing around key pupils here. And to improve outcomes in your, in your cohort is actually about that middle 33% of kids. You know, they're the ones, 33% of kids and everything that 30% will do it. And knowing those things. And 
it has to be a collective effort. So the cleaner and the caretaker understand that that kid's a really important kid. Is in the canteen, is, are the faces of those really important year 11 boys by the chip counter when they say, can I have my chips? How's your maths doing? Are those things there, you know? At the end of the day, does everyone know who, who we need in revision? All those things, is it being spoken about? Are you building that achievement culture, you know? We, had a, we, we hosted an online evening last Thursday for year 11, which has got some great feedback, you know? People asking, asking us for it all over the internet. Are you being vocal on what you expect of your children and what they need to do? And too often, I think accountability, it has felt to me sometimes in the past that teachers are always accountable and children aren't. That's not the way it works. <laughs> do, you, do you feel that being a Catholic school, I mean, Catholic, it, it, it insinuates community, doesn't it? So yeah. does being in a Catholic school make creating that sense of community easier? Is it different in a Catholic school? I think it's hard, you know, what we stand for is about spreading the gospel, you know, and people feel queasy about that. And it's very, very hard to engage a 16 year old in that, that Jesus loves you. You know, I think the community that we try and we try and build is around treating them as, as we wish to, like everyone tries to do. But I think it does give us a distinctive edge, but only if it's driven in the right way. You know, I am no one's idea of the perfect Catholic, I don't think, you know. Yeah, I go to church, sometimes I find it hard. I find it challenging. Sometimes I wonder what I really think. But it anchors me in a set of beliefs as to how we should interact with people, and how, how we should be subject to one another. I think it does help. You know, I'm not a fan of, well, this is a very Catholic thing to do, is Mr. Foley? And, and sometimes I think people use it as a, as a, as a get out of jail free card. You know, being a Catholic actually is not, it's not light and fluffy. It's about doing things. It's not, and if people think it is, then they've obviously never read Mark's Gospel. You know, but it is not light and fluffy. It is about doing things that are right when they are incredibly unpopular. I think my response there is because I've worked in a Catholic school myself, so I know exactly where you're coming from when you say that. Yeah, and I, and I think people misconstrue it as we, we're all sat, sat, sat there saying our prayers. And, yeah, we, we do that, absolutely. But we're not, or too often it's easy to turn away from a difficult decision because it's going to be hard. You know, that's not ever the kind of organisation I'm ever going to run. You know, and, and the, hard, the hard part of it is when people say, you are not Catholic enough. And I'm like, you misunderstand what I mean by Catholicism. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's tough. With, with well-being being so high on the agenda at the moment, do you think Catholic schools are in a better position than other schools to, to build that culture and, and create that culture? Do you think there's already a culture of focusing on staff well-being in Catholic schools? more so than yeah. there might be in others? I mean, I've never worked in a non-Catholic school, so I can't really judge. I think our, the idea that we treat people as we wish to be treated, you know, the idea that uh, we subscribe to to the things that Pope Francis talks about, you know, Labdato, seeing all those bits and pieces, that puts you in a better position. But just as equally, though, you can have people who are Catholic but don't act in a very Christian way. <laughs> You know, and, and, and you see that a lot. And I think every single school should have a, an appropriate moral sense. How that determines your decision making is, is entirely up to the person that's in charge of it. You know, we try and be a Catholic school by how best we serve the children that come through our doors every single day. Sometimes serving children that come through our doors mean that they don't like how we do that. You know, and and, and you, you ser you, from what you've said, it's very clear that you see that as being part of your role to serve the staff as well? Uh, yes. I think the, the job's changed, hasn't it, really, since March. And you, you kind of become like this shepherd now, I'm trying to sort of, well, this, this women flock out. And, you know, <laughs> my, my, my job is to serve them on the assumption that they are doing what they are supposed to be doing. You know, I, I, if you are doing your job and you are working hard and you are being honest and upfront, I'm your best friend. If you're trying to pull the wool over my eyes or you are letting 
somebody else down on the corridor by not doing the job properly, then I'm not going to be not going to be best pleased or not going to be best friend. I think it's serving the people who share that value, that that set of values. You know that ethos. You know, if if my geography NQT has a problem, I'm going to be the first person to try and help them. If if somebody though is not doing doing their part, then it's not. I'm not a pusher, but I, don't, oh, you know, oh, I think that leads you know, into into one of the things that I wanted to ask you because I know when we talked previously, we talked about expectations, and you've you've alluded to structures within within the school. So, do you think that? when staff know what's expected of them and when they're working within clear structures that they feel more secure and that contributes to their well-being i think most of them do yeah i think what when you when you've got a really clear set of how things should be going and the systems are tight the processes are obvious and everyone knows where they're going it makes them feel better because they also begin to realize a curveball is not going to come around the corner you know we're not some we're not going to try you know, we've all we've all been in the school where every September the head teacher said, "This year we're going to try and do this really well," and then you can suddenly see a hundred pairs of eyes roll and think he's lost it again. You know, consistency of approach to everything actually makes everyone's life a lot easier. And I think where people like Tom Bennett on, on Twitter get a lot of grief is when they talk about system and process and expectation for children. And they get slagged off for it. I think it's a nonsense. You know, I think our, my staff know what we expect every single day. And they also know how the calendar works, how the line management cycles work, where data collection points are going to be, what we do at various points in the year, how we run inset, how we run certain things. Now that they're used to it, I think they feel happier that things are consistent. And I think what, what leaves have found hard, Vicky, is the uncertainty created by the current COVID situation. It's driving me around the bend. And where things... There's no harm in having a, it's the school rhythm, isn't it? What is the rhythm of the academic year going to look like? So you know where your pinch points are, so you know when this is going to be done, that has to be done. And the sooner you can have a situation where that's really, really clear, everyone, they don't always like it, and, and there'll be times when everyone looks tired, but they'll feel better about it, won't they? And that's what you, for me, it's like when you try and build a timetable, and you try and make sure everyone's got an even spread, and that's a well-being issue. If everything's consistent and people have certainty regarding how their day, week, month, term is going to be, they feel better about it. I think that, that, that you know that's yeah that makes so much sense. The idea of it. we're all we all want certainty, don't we? And that, yeah. that leads to to us feeling fulfilled, isn't it? When when we know exactly what our role is, exactly what we're supposed to be doing, and how we need to do it. And, and do you feel like you're moving towards a point where you can trust staff now? You can build on that by, by putting that trust in place that you've well, got. Well, if I give you an example, you know, every year you have exam analysis meetings, don't you, in the first with, um, you know, on Friday, myself and my deputy, we met with heads of department and we just asked them to talk about what's the year 11 plan? You know, what is their thinking regarding remote learning? Every single person came in with a clear plan like that. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. Bang, 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 bang. So I felt so much happier going home on Friday because it was really obvious to me that for each subject, they thought about what needs to be done and, and they're getting on with it. And I hope that the middle leaders here feel more empowered now to try things, to make decisions, because they understand that that's their job. And you, you try and model that level of decision decisiveness don't quite quickly. And once you do that, you, you begin to lose risk-averse people. You know, and if you're a flapper, you need not apply to work for me. You know, and, but then you get people who you can change from being a flapper to being somebody who's on, who's on it. Because you get, actually their ideas have no reason of value. You and know, the reason that people are flapping is because they're not certain about things, they're unsure of things, and they don't have that yeah. definite knowledge of exactly what they're supposed to be doing at any given point in time. And also, people are afraid of giving you the wrong answer. There is no wrong answer. There is only us finding the right answer together. And if people have an idea, and it's shocking, then I'll tell you. But at the same time, if I, if I had an idea and said that was rubbish, I'd be far more annoyed if my deputy I did say, 
that is the worst idea in the history of the universe, then say to me and it was over, that was never going to work. And that's, you want that level of professional challenge, that, that professional accountability, because you're in it together. And the ability yeah. to be open and honest with people. Yeah, that's what, you know, no one's going to want to work in a cosy school. I don't, I don't think it is cosy here. I mean, some, sometimes I feel it is, and then you try and throw a spanner in. You want people to be comfortable speaking their mind in the appropriate fashion, because ultimately we're doing the things to make sure those youngsters get the best possible thing. And if, and if that's the starting point, then it's fine. You, there's, some, there's a teacher called Richard Vare, he's head of Blessed Trinity in Burnley. And he speaks about something called fearless leadership. And, and where people are scared, and they're never going to produce their very, very best. And you've got to try and take away that fear from people, be it walking in their classroom, having a bad idea, so they can then go on and do things, and, and they'll be fine. And no one comes to school to do a bad job, do they? Well, most people don't know. I mean, maybe I do. And nobody yeah. set out in their career to be a bad teacher. No. So you try and give people the authority to make decisions and in doing that they feel happier now in terms of well-being i'm not i'm not that bothered about workload i know people throw well-being and workload and they think it's the same side of a different coin and that's absolutely wrong some people like working on that's fine some people are not some people for some people it's their life isn't it you know my wife always says that i work to live rather than she yeah. lives to work sounds like you, you know, do <laughs> I'm okay with that. It keeps, me, it keeps me busy. But for people's well-being, feeling satisfied with with having the authority within your area of responsibility, I think is a massive thing. And I think when I took over here, heads of department felt that they they had to wait to be to be allowed to make a decision. And sometimes the wait would take weeks. But with me, it's like one thing that's a lot. We go and do it now, and it takes 15 seconds. And I think that's the bit that that makes them feel more valued. And that's I think why. We've kept almost all of them. Yeah, the, the, you, you give them the autonomy to That's do their it. job. Yeah, it's the autonomy, you know. Head of job, we said, well, we interviewed, last year we interviewed for a job with the NQT. And as part of the interview, the, the NQT asked what it was like. And, and Richard, head of job, we just said, you know, Chris Chris knows what he's after and how we do it is up to us. As long as, as, long as, it's, tightly, as, long as it's tight, then I'm fine. In some subjects, though, you have to be tighter than others. Like in maths, it's the most important thing in the school. Don't mess around with it. You have to have a bigger say, but you've got to give people the chance to try things out. And one of the things that I know um, I've read on your blogs is the idea of communication. And that's that, I mean, that's never been more important than right now in history, has it, in terms of schools. But you, yeah. you talk about how you over communicate, if anything, and how, how important is that communication to the staff's well-being? Well, I mean, when we shut down, you know, I email us up every single day with the daily message just to update on what we're doing, because people never take things in the first time anyway. Um, but it's important, I think, that you try and build an organisational narrative around what you stand for, what you are trying to do, so every single teacher knows where they fit in the jigsaw. And that requires a lot of discipline, and by the time we got to June, I was, I'd run out of things to say, you know, but there's like, there's like 100 of them. Um, but it's communicating the expectations of what needs to happen so everyone is clear. You know, we have briefings probably every other day at the moment to make sure things are clear. We're telling the kids the same thing, the staff the same thing. It's about clarity of message so everyone knows what they are, what where they stand, and what they need to do, and, and also communicating the vision for the organisation. I think with the staff, it's making sure they know exactly what's expected of them. And then with the kids and the parents, it's about building that narrative. You know, don't forget, I took over a school that whose reputation was possibly the worst I've ever experienced. You know, when I sat with parents for those first three months and got, they were angry. You know, don't get me wrong, they were angry and that was hard. But for the staff, tell them and tell them and tell them and tell them again. And don't assume people are idiots. But, you know, did your old school used to have a bulletin? Mm. Did, you, did, 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 your school have, did your school have a bulletin? For staff? Yeah. No. Well, when you do, you know, one of my three... One <laughs> I've of worked in schools school. where, we, where we've had bulletins. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is, if you want to keep a secret, put it in the bulletin. <laughs> you know, that's what happens. So we try, you try, and now everyone knows 
half four on a Friday, I'll send a message of the end of Jennifer next week with a thank yous, with the do job awards, some nice things. It's important that the staff feel they have ownership and can buy into where the school is going. And you can only do that by talking about it all the time. Because it's about building that culture, isn't it? And communication is about building your culture. And I think the, the, the thing that, that chimes with me there is that staff don't read the weekly bulletin or some staff read it and some staff don't. Staff will sit in a briefing. Some of them will be drinking their coffee, thinking about what they're doing in the day and, and they miss the message there. Some staff receive the email, some staff don't receive the email. Yeah. So, so you're, you make sure that you cover all bases by, by repeating the message and making sure everybody knows it and, and gets it rather than saying, oh, I didn't... I didn't I didn't know that was going on. Yeah, you, you've got to, we try and use every possible means of communication, especially with parents now, you know, they get letters emailed, it's through Twitter, it's done, we can do briefings online, teams meetings and stuff. The number of people, if you are not saying anything, then somebody will be assuming something. Yeah. You've got to fill that vacuum, it's never, it's never been more important than now. You know, those, those, you know, at the point that we get a case of COVID, as it inevitably happened, we've got to fill that gap every single day for those kids and those parents. Otherwise, you're done for. That that is almost more important now than anything else, I think. And I think I think the monikers. I think we've done a good job of that, driven by me probably. I think what what I'm really taking from what you've said today is the idea of yeah. I think you call your blog. It's uh, it's called on the bus, isn't it? And I think that that sums up for me the things that you're saying, you know, bringing staff on board, making them feel the certainty, knowing exactly where they're going, what their job is, which part of the bus they sit on and what, what, they have to, what they've got to do in that in that position. And that's the thing that like you, I think you said, it's not buying them a, cho- buying them a chocolate bar, which is fine. If oh, that's what you want to do. Yeah, but that's it's about them having clarity about there being a collective responsibility but them knowing exactly what their role is within that and knowing what everybody else's role is as well and 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 how how they sit within within a broader structure and i think that's a that's a really useful thing that i think head teachers will take from this is just well, I mean, that. you've got you've got to know within your structure and your organization where everybody fits and if you don't know then what you're doing, you, you know, if your school's got a public safety score of minus 0.75 and you're heading into special measures, what are your structure like? You know, yeah. but you only do those things, it takes a bit of time. Yeah. And if you, if everyone knows where they sit on the bus, you know, because the kids love that kind of stuff and you, the teachers know, what's your expectation? You know, we, we did a huge piece of work last year, which wasn't popular on realigning TLR structure for the third time in, in a year. And look at TLR tariffing and cost based on, you know, pupils per subject. It was not popular. You know, some people's TLRs changed. We put some TLRs in the structure. But it was about future-proofing the organisation. Everyone knows what they're doing. And those things are, aren't always easy. But if everyone's clear, and it, and it is sometimes, that role is, is of less value to, to the school than this role. And people understand that. You know, it's, that level of positional analysis is really important, you know. If, if our school, you know, I, I've said this before, and if the plane hits the ground, who do you, you drive out first? And it sounds awful. I know, that, I know that's, not, that's not the best analogy to ever use. <laughs> but for me, if you're a main scale teacher or you're head of department, you are the most important people in the school because that's, that's where the kids yeah. come in, you know. We had a conversation with deputy head teacher, I had to isolate for a day because of, of a family thing. Her not being in the building, didn't impact on the Churchill education for that day. But the teacher who's got a child who's ill who missed five lessons that day. Yeah. And it's, and it's, I don't think leadership teams should see themselves at the top of the tree. They should be the bottom of the tree. And, and, that, and that, that's, that's something that's come up in, in another interview that I've done as well. It's the idea of bottom-up leadership. Um, yeah. Just what I'm asking everybody just at the end of, um, at the, end of the interview is, if you could give one tip to other head teachers about supporting the well-being of staff in schools, what one? I should ask you this before, and then you can prepare an answer. Really, well, that's that. <laughs> you, you have to be able to think on your feet as a head teacher, don't you? Um, what tip? What tip would you give them? Don't be afraid to ask anybody what they think, and then right. when they tell you, don't do the face that people do when they hear things they don't like. Yeah, I think because that's. Every, 
every single person has a valid opinion. I and think. Here, yeah, go on, go on, finish, finish off. <laughs> and the best thing of that is that that supply teacher who's been here for two days can tell you more about how strong your system is than the person who's put up for 30 years and the kids are scared of. Yeah. You know, and don't ever be afraid to seek opinions that are different to your own. I think that that is a really good place to finish the interview. Every single person has a valid opinion and as a head, you can't be, af you can't be afraid of what you hear. Yeah, no. that's great. Um, Chris, where can we, um, where can we find your blog? Where, where can we find you? Um, I am www.omnibuseducation.wordpress.com. Uh, you can also follow me at h2 underscore St. Monica's. Uh, and if you tweet me things, I'll probably reply, oftentimes with an NFL-themed GIF or a comedy comment. But, um, and also, there's some of his website, so Twitter uh, and on, on the bus education, wordpress.com. Brilliant. And um, I'll keep adding to it, and I might, you never know, something might be sensible on there. And I'll, I'll put all that in the show notes as well, so that yeah, people no can, can find you. Thanks so much for your time. You are very welcome. It's been really insightful and I think very, very useful for people who are listening. Thank you. I really enjoyed that interview with Chris. Um, his insight into the fact that well-being can be improved by having strong systems and processes and structures in place in a school, alongside a clear vision, is definitely a different way of looking at well-being and is probably something that most leaders haven't considered is a well-being issue but I definitely think that when people working in an organization know exactly what they're doing what their job is their role <clears throat> and what the roles and responsibilities are of the people who are around them and the people who are leading them then it gives them security and certainty about what they're doing. And that definitely contributes to their well-being and their mental health, I'm certain. So it might be a different way of looking at well-being, but it's definitely something that I think as leaders we should be focusing on, making sure that in our schools we have strong systems and procedures in place that people know and that we make sure everybody knows what they're doing um, and I guess that's what gets people on the bus as Chris terms it um, and it could be seen to be a bit of a cliche but actually I think it's a great analogy for the feeling of togetherness and community that Chris has managed to create in his school through the things that he's done and the things that he talked to us about on the podcast interview today um, he has taken a school that was in a really difficult uh, predicament. It was in special measures. It had gone from being outstanding and being seen by the community to be a school that they wanted to send their children to, to a school that people in the community felt like they'd been let down by. And that was not an easy job for Chris to go in there and sort things out really which is what he did and that's been a hard journey for Chris but to get people on the bus has been the key thing for him and and I think that that's really important. He's created a feeling in his school that he and his staff are all heading in the same direction and when staff get this feeling they will commit and work hard but also get a feeling of well-being from the contribution they feel like they're making to the school. I'm certain that you'll be taking some really insightful advice and ideas from the interview with Chris today. Uh, I hope that you found it useful and I will speak to you next time. Take care of yourself, take care of your staff and lead well. The We Lead Well podcast was brought to you in partnership with Transform Education Coaching, headteacherchats.com and the Teach Well Alliance.